love one another, forgive, judge not, fear not. It's all such great advice with beautiful outcomes, but none of those principles is a one-step process. So let's talk specifics, the messy step-by-step. Welcome to, but how though, in a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. Welcome back to But How Though and a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. We've all heard the quote, when one door closes, another door opens, right? What I didn't know is who said it and under what context. So I went ahead and did some Googling and turns out Alexander Graham Bell is credited with this quote, but there's a little more to it. In 1935, after he passed away, he was quoted in a publication called the Winona Times. And he was quoted as saying, when one door closes, another door opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one which has opened for us. That is gorgeous, really, if we think about it on the surface. But it lends a glimpse into humanity that I think we can all relate to. Sometimes the sorrow and the regret and dare I say, the need for control consumes us to the point where we cannot shift our focus to the door that has opened. We are just staring with regret, with denial, with anger, like all the stages of grief (laughs) we have to go through as we stare at the closed door. We got to grieve the closed door. And in part of that process, we don't see the other door that opens. But how though for me today is how do you shift your focus when it is perfectly normal and probably perfectly appropriate to grieve the loss of something that you really wanted? How do you go ahead and shift your focus or attitude in order to recognize another opportunity that doesn't necessarily feel the same or look the same, but is an opportunity nonetheless? When opportunity arises, and you believe it's yours, you believe it could be for you, or you want that opportunity. And then it turns out to not be an opportunity for you. How ripped off you can kind of feel, you know, like, why did someone else get that opportunity? Why didn't I get that opportunity? I may have shared this story on this podcast before. I don't know. But there was there was a time when I was at a gas station, I was just getting gas. And I looked down and somewhere near my vehicle was some money on the ground. And it wasn't like a tiny amount of money (laughs) that I would have ignored. It was a substantial enough amount of money that it caught my attention. Maybe it was a dollar instead of a dime. I can't remember, but I distinctly remember it catching my attention and me instinctively reaching for it. And as I reached out to pick up this money, I felt a little nudge from Team Universe. And it said, that's not for you. And all of a sudden in my heart, I realized this money was for someone specific. This was going to change the course of somebody's day, maybe even change the course of somebody's life. I don't know. But the money was intended for someone and that someone was not me. And I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel ripped off. I felt like, oh, okay, yeah, I better leave that then. (laughs) That's not mine. (laughs) And it was kind of a cool thing because I, I thought to myself how much Team Universe loves everybody and how, how interconnected we all are, that sometimes our opportunities do overlap. And we might come across somebody else's opportunity and feel sad that it wasn't ours when it was in fact theirs. The reason I bring that up is because there are other disappointments in life, like um, times when you may be looking for a job 
and somebody else gets it. And you think, gosh, I was qualified. I nailed that interview. Why didn't I get that job? And if we could recognize other people's right to the opportunity, I think sometimes we might be a little less hurt by not having that opportunity be ours. Sometimes if we view every single opportunity as rightfully ours, we might feel robbed when that door, in fact, is not open to us and that door, in fact, is opened to someone else. That should have been mine, could have been mine, wish it was mine, would have been perfect for me. It probably was mine and it was stolen from me. Those kinds of feelings can run away with us. But if we can just shift our focus back to the truth of life, which is lots of doors are opening all the time for lots of people, not just for us, then it is easier for us to recognize that someone else has the right to an opportunity just as much as we do. And it might be a little bit less painful to watch a door close because you know that door was intended, in fact, for someone else. Doesn't mean that you're not going to get a door open. Doesn't mean you're not going to get the money that you need, the opportunity that you need, the pathway that you need. It just means that wasn't it. And sometimes that perspective is hard to come by when the feelings of grief that naturally follow a loss (laughs) or a perceived loss, they can kind of overtake us. So just keeping that perspective of someone else got that opportunity, that meant good fortune for someone else, and we don't need to begrudge anyone that. Their gain is our gain. It's okay for everyone to have the right to opportunity. The second thing that I realized was part of that process is recognizing that an opening door might look and feel incredibly frightening and or painful. So a door that closed may have looked relatively pleasant. You really wanted that door, that opportunity, that path. It was going to bring a lot of things into your life that you perceived that you wanted and that was going to be the best way to get it. And then that door closes and any other doors that open around you might look significantly less welcoming than that one, significantly less pleasant than that experience. You might not feel like that's a good substitution or restitution for what you just lost because this new opportunity or this new door that opened could feel quite frightening or painful. The best example of that that I can think of as far as scriptural accounts go is in the Old Testament with Joseph who had all these rude brothers and not just rude brothers, like rude murderous brothers who wanted to get rid of him and all of his open doors were so painful. Abuse, completely unfair circumstances that were thrust upon him. That's what his opportunities were. But if we could pick it apart for a second, this is in Genesis 37 is where the story kind of picks up for Joseph. They do not mince words here. It's very clear that Joseph was the favorite. It's not even just like the jealous brother's misguided perception. No, the the Bible literally comes right out and says King James Version here. This is literally what it says. Now Israel, who is Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. So it it not only like explicitly says definitely his favorite because he was born when he was because Joseph was born when Jacob was old. Maybe he just made him so happy. He was so cute. I don't know. 
But then it just gives an example of one of the things Jacob did for Joseph because he was his favorite, gave him this coat. And in verse four, it says, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, he had a lot of brothers. Okay. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. He's also the younger brother. So if you look at family dynamics, this does happen sometimes. Older siblings cannot speak peaceably to the younger siblings. They can't take them seriously. They can't look at them as equals because they always look at them as this younger kid that doesn't understand what what the older kids already understand. They can't do the same things. They can't contribute in the same way. They just aren't taken seriously as human beings a lot in family dynamics, even to this day. But what happened in these chapters is Joseph starts having these dreams. One of his like, I don't know, spiritual giftings or something is to interpret dreams. And he starts having these dreams and he knows what they mean. And he starts telling his brothers like, oh, my gosh, I had this dream last night. Tells him the dream. And then everybody gets mad about his interpretations of the dreams because it's basically foreshadowing for Joseph that he's going to be in leadership positions. Well, he's the youngest brother and he's the favorite. So he already gets all this stuff. And now what does that sound like and look like to the older people? Okay, so because he's the favorite and he's being coddled, now he thinks he's going to be the ruler over us because everybody's treating him like he's better than us. They love him more. So now he thinks that's what's going to happen. He's interpreting his dreams this way. And Joseph keeps having these dreams where he is in leadership positions. Even his dad got mad about one of his interpretations of his dreams about his future in leadership. These are the dreams that he was having. That's how he was interpreting it. And I'm sure in his mind, as a starry-eyed, young 17-year-old kid, he was like, yeah, this is going to be great. My life is going to be full of leadership. (laughs) It's full of promise and great ideas. Well, when he's 17, that was when his brothers plotted to kill him. (laughs) And this is kind of a ruthless situation where they're road tripping. They're doing some errands for their dad. Joseph is coming to them. They see him from far away. Before he sees them and they're like, oh, we should kill him. We should kill him. Let's kill him. Accidents happen in the desert all the time. (laughs) We should get rid of him. One of the brothers felt bad and was like, no, we cannot kill him. Okay. And so instead of standing up to the brothers and being like, no, we can't kill him. This is Reuben. He was like, no, let's just put him in a pit. Let's put him in a pit. And then we don't have to have his blood on our hands. Like, he'll just die of starvation <laughs> or thirst or or a wild animal will kill him, but it, it wouldn't be us. Then we won't have his blood on our hands. But Reuben in his heart was like, okay, so once I get him in this pit, then I can come back later and rescue him. And my brothers won't know. I won't have to stand up against my brothers, but I also won't have to be a part of Joseph's untimely death. So Reuben was kind of trying to keep both sides happy and his conscience. (laughs) Okay. So then when Joseph gets to them, Reuben is away. Apparently they steal his coat from him, throw him into a pit and are going to leave him there. And then they're kind of talking amongst themselves and say, well, we won't get anything really. Like it'll just be this big nuisance. It doesn't really profit us anything. So, but if we sell him, then we get money. And we don't have to cover up the crime and have this huge nuisance of hiding a murder for the rest of our lives. So they kill a goat and dip Joseph's coat into the goat blood. 
and they bring it to their father, Jacob. And they're like, I mean, this is what we found. This is what's left, but we're pretty sure this is his coat. You would know best though, because you're the one that gave him the coat. Is this his coat? Created the evidence and let their father assume the worst. But what happened with Joseph, from his point of view, that does not look like a leadership opportunity, right? It looks like he was robbed of his chance to be a leader in that family because the family sold him. So he goes with the Midianites and then the Midianites sell him again to some guy named Potiphar and he becomes a servant in Potiphar's household. Well, I don't know how what his attitude was like. I've never met this dude, but it kind of seems like he he tended to make the most of whatever situation he was placed in because he, he rose through the ranks in Potiphar's household and became the lead servant. Well, then Potiphar's wife thought he was cute. It's super messed up, you guys. The Old Testament, we'll just say it. It's so messed up. But she comes and is like, oh, Joseph, you should sleep with me. And he's like, uh, I should not because you are the wife of the person I work for. And this is wrong on several levels. I'm not doing that. Not doing that. Not doing that. It doesn't really say how many times she asked him to sleep with her. But it does say it was more than one time and he refused every time. And the last time she came to him and like physically tried to undress him. (laughs) So she grabs his clothes and he's like, I don't know what else to do. And so he just runs. He runs away, leaving part of his clothing in her hands that she had grabbed. He just like, take the shirt, I'm out of here and just runs. Well, At this point, she makes the choice to accuse him of having solicited her. So now he gets wrongfully accused of the thing he was actually resisting for so long and gets thrown in prison. While he's in prison, you could easily think, all these doors were closed to me. I was a leader. I was a leader in Potiphar's house. And that was now taken away from me. This is not supposed to happen. I should not be here. This is not my opportunity. I was supposed to be a leader. And this looks like a lot of closed doors. It looks awful. It looks painful. And it doesn't just look awful and look painful, okay? This is awful and is painful. This isn't just like, oh, I thought the path looked kind of like foggy and dreary and windy. But then when I got on the path, I realized it wasn't bad at all. No, this is hell that he has to actually go through over and over and over again. Beaten, robbed thrown into a pit, sold to some passing tribe, sold again to become a a slave servant on uh, this dude's household, then repeatedly treated like a sexual object and solicited by the wife of the person you work for, which would be very, very dehumanizing and degrading. And then you get thrown in prison for doing the thing that you absolutely refused to do. This does not look like the kind of door you wanted open when you were promised leadership in those dreams. (laughs) I mean, we know the ending of the story because all these different paths, it landed him in Pharaoh's household and because of his spiritual gift and who he was inside, it, it did lead to a huge leadership opportunity where then he was able to reunite with his family and impact them in positive ways and you know, examine his own heart and be able to let go of some of those angry, bitter feelings and come to realize who he was inside and what he could give to the world. And the opportunities only came 
through these really crappy doors <laughs> that were opened instead of the doors he thought that should be opened. I mean, I kind of like equal parts love and hate this example because I know there there's a lot of truth to it, but it also means we have to recognize misfortunes as opportunities even while we accept that we don't like it. And that is just not a comfortable place. It causes a lot of cognitive dissonance, if we're honest, because we want to be in a comfortable place and we want to believe in the just world philosophy that if I do good, good is returned to me. And if I am good, then only good opportunities come to me. That led me to another but how though, right? Like these feelings that you're going to have about misfortunes, they're real feelings. You're really going to feel angry. You really can feel bitter. You really can feel so sad, heartbroken, betrayed, jealous. Like these are actual emotions that come up and they're not necessarily wrong. But you do got to sort through them in order to be able to see well enough to keep moving on the path. But it doesn't change the reality of what you're going to feel. So the problem is when a door closes that you wanted, it can feel like now I got to sit here until either another door that's comparable opens for me. Or maybe if I look at that door long enough, I'll figure out a way to get that door open. Or what if I try this? What if I try this? And your mind catches hold of all the bargaining that you need to do in order to try to get that opportunity back. And you get stuck in the bargaining phase of grief of trying to control. That is the only door for me. That is the only opportunity that can lead to success and happiness. So I am going to hyper focus on that door until I figure out a way to get that damn door back open. (laughs) That can lead us to completely ignore the other doors that have opened, especially if those doors that have opened lead down frightening and or uncomfortable or painful paths. I was thinking about that this week. (laughs) because I had to register for fall classes. And we're about to hear about a first world problem, okay? I realize this is not even close to on the same level as Joseph being sold into Egypt. Okay, let's just get that out in the open. I recognize this is not the same. But I'm in my fall semester, and in order to stay on my graduation track, I have to get into certain classes at certain times. Well, there was a class that I really wanted to take because it would be very convenient for me. I could possibly get this degree from my bedroom. That sounds amazing. I did not want to take any in-person classes for sure. And this one class that I wanted from this professor, I had taken a previous class from her and I absolutely loved her style, her approach. And I just really wanted that class. Well, there were only 40 spots available in that class. And I had a specific registration window that did not open until 8 p.m., on my registration day. So I get all of my classes. I study them out. I see who I want to take for each class. I know my desired schedule. I load it into my shopping cart so that when 8 p.m. hits, all I have to do is click register and it will send my whole cart to the registration desk and I will get everything I want. And the morning of registration came. I went to double check everything. And guess what? That class was already full. That class's door was already closed to me because the other seniors who had an earlier registration window than I had took all those spots. I felt sad. I kind of felt mad. 
Like, why do you only have 40 spots for this class that everybody wants to take? Like, it's one of the required classes, one of the core classes for this major. Everybody's got to take it. Clearly, she's the best teacher. Why do we only have 40 spots? It's ridiculous. And they're already gone. Like, why does my registration window have to open later than their registration window? I'm a senior, too. And I am lamenting and saying all of the things why I'm so mad that I don't get this opportunity. And then I remember that time that I was at the gas station and I saw that money that wasn't for me. And I felt the little nudge from Team Universe that said, that class was not for you. And I was like, I wanted that class. I wanted that professor. And I had to look at, okay, what are my other options? What other doors are opening then? Okay, so maybe somebody else needed that class more than I needed that class. Maybe this was somebody else's opportunity and I do not need to begrudge anyone else the opportunity because clearly this door was open, but it wasn't open to me. I just thought it was. And then it closed before I could walk through it, meaning it's not open for you, Rach. So I started looking at lists of alternative classes that I could take in place of that required core class. So I hurried and added those to my cart. Well, those were shrinking rapidly as well, those online classes. And then there was one like face-to-face class. And I was like, ah, I got to drive down there. I got to drive down there on every Tuesday and Thursday. Oh my gosh. (laughs) For an hour. (laughs) I'm getting very used to the COVID restrictions. Okay, people. As it turns out, as I'm watching some of the other alternative classes, they close, they close. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this class that I got to take, I'm going to have to take it in person. And I kind of felt that shift of like, is it the worst thing in the world to take this class in person? I know I'm going to be applying for graduate school in the next year, and I need to have several recommendations from professors. And if I never have face-to-face time with these professors, is it really going to be very easy for them to give recommendations? Is it really going to be very easy for me to ask for recommendations? Is it really the worst thing in the world if I get FaceTime with some of the professors that are faculty and staff of the program I'm actually applying to? Is it really the worst thing? That little shift inside my heart helped to work through some of those feelings of grief and loss. Now, I get that on this level, these feelings of grief and loss, they were pretty surface level. It was not a big, deep wound, a big, deep loss. This was like very navigable for me. But I think the whole thing can apply because when you see a closed door, it feels like, oh no, now I'm stagnant. I got to sit here and wait for something else or I got to try to reopen that door. But when you can see a shift Like, okay, that was somebody else's opportunity. My opportunity then is still coming. It helps you replace sorrow with curiosity. And curiosity, turns out for me, is a very powerful emotion. If I am curious and I know Team Universe knows me, Team Universe loves me. Team Universe is aware of the classes that I need. Literally all the doors that I've needed opened have opened just in time this entire school journey. I can't look back on any of this going back to school endeavor and see a time when Team Universe was not involved with the process. So I know that they're in this one then too. So I wonder what class then is going to be my opportunity. Clearly it wasn't the one that I thought. So what is it? And then my heart opened a little. Instead of focusing where I wanted to focus, which was on the injustice of it all, the unfairness, all of a sudden I could be curious because I know I have evidence 
of Team Universe's ability to make anything happen. Anything. And if they chose not to make this happen, it's because they've already got something else happening. And I, for one, would love to find out what that is. Getting to that point, I realized the last few years of my life have been helping me to get to that point. The point of absolute trust where I can turn anger into curiosity. And that little notion that Team Universe gave me a few months ago, it's not happening to you, it's happening for you, can pop into my mind that fast and help to remind me whatever it is, it isn't happening to me, it's happening for me. And as things unfold, as uncomfortable or painful as they might get, it is in fact unfolding in the way that will benefit me the very most and maximize my experience for my good, for my growth, for my learning, everything. Which leads to another, but how though? How do you build that kind of trust up? I can't speak to everyone, but I do know that for me, it has required time, has required time plus action. So much of my life was spent telling myself even, you just got to trust Team Universe. You just got to trust. You just got to trust. Have faith instead of fear. (laughs) And that is not a feasible thing for me. Faith and fear exist side by side on a daily basis within my little heart. So I got to believe that's the truth about a lot of people. So I'm just going to say that when I said to Team Universe, I want to trust you. I believe that I can trust you, but I don't feel trust yet. How do I get there? All the experiences that followed were experiences that I got to share with them to show just how in it with me they were and to build the trust. Because trust doesn't just come from saying, I trust you. (laughs) That's not how it is built. It is time plus action, always. And when you can start with that question, can you give me some experiences to help build trust? Team Universe, I want to trust you. Can you show me your involvement in my life? Starting there, for me, turned out to be the difference between whether I could turn my negative, fearful, angry feelings into hopeful curiosity or whether I could not. The difference was the trust. And it's not just a matter of, can I flip the switch between faith and fear? Can I flip the switch between being able to trust and not being able to trust? No, 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 no. Team Universe does not require that from you. Team Universe will build the trust. They will take the time. They are thorough. They don't cut corners. Relationship requires experience, and they will always give it. If I was to give any kind of advice to somebody who's having doors closed or feeling like the doors that they wanted have been closed in their face, in your prayers, in your meditations, in whatever ways that you connect to Team Universe, ask for your eyes to be opened to the opening doors so that you can see whatever that means and whatever that looks like for you. Because then you will be able to recognize the everyday miraculous involvement of the team, Team Universe the one that loves you beyond comprehension and has all power to help you succeed. That's all I got for this week. I'm Rachel Larson. Please join us again next week as we get ready to close out another season of But How Though. This life is full of twists and turns and messes and miracles, but we don't have to navigate it on our own. Team Universe is ready to walk through all of the paths and all of the messes 
right alongside us. We just got to start with the simple questions, maybe even, but how though?